Here's a question for you. What would it be like for you to have all the... Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah, okay, probably overwhelming. But let, let's say your brain had the... One topic in the world, that random trivia that I've definitely got this, but that one random... You know everything there is to know about that one random trivia. Whatever it is. Would you go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? With that knowledge? Maybe, maybe not. Would you use that knowledge to help others? Would it be helpful... Use it. Would you be wise with that knowledge? Because it's one thing to have knowledge, it's one to use that knowledge well and like it. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. God, the fact that God is all-knowing and the fact that God is all-wise and perfect in both. And that word omniscience, uh, it comes from Latin, and omni meaning all and scientia meaning knowledge. And that's where we get the word science from, it means knowledge. So God's omniscience means he's all-knowing. And wisdom is the ability to rightly use your knowledge with good understanding and good judgment. There's knowing and there's wisely using that knowledge. Now you have to have some knowledge to be able to have wisdom, right? It's a prerequisite to have wisdom. You actually have to know something first to be able to use it. But just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you have wisdom. And if we have both of those... It's a very good thing. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. And we have plenty of people out there in the world who know lots of things, but the Bible calls them fools. The Bible calls them fools. We can have knowledge. We can have a PhD in whatever subject we like. And usually it's in a very minute subject. But whether or not that person is wise is another matter. But God is both perfect in his knowledge and perfect in his wisdom. And that's what we're going to have a look at. So that first point, perfect knowledge. God's knowledge is without limit. As God himself is infinite, so his knowledge is also infinite. God's knowledge is comprehensive. Joel Beakey says this. He says, there is not one thought, one word, or one deed that dodges the knowledge of God. God knows all past events, present events, and future events. And he doesn't just know about them, he knows their every detail because his knowledge is tied to him being the sovereign creator. As Elihu says in Job 36.4, he says, For truly my words are not a lie. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. That's God. He's perfect in knowledge. And that first point under perfect knowledge is that God never learns anything. Now for us, there's so much that we don't know. And as we get older, we learn that more and more and more. How much we don't know. When we were teenagers, or even younger than that, we thought we knew everything there was. Right? And we knew what's best. Our parents, eh, maybe not. Right? And yet our parents sometimes laugh at us when we were young because we really didn't know. But as we get older, we learn more and more. But that's the thing. We keep learning. We keep learning. We might know more in a certain line of area. Maybe it's our work, whether it's with uh, anatomy or building houses or painting or teaching children or electrical circuits or whatever else it is. But we, even in our own work, we can't know everything about everything. We can't. Even in our particular area of expertise, this, this one area, we can't know everything. Even the world expert in any given area doesn't know everything about that area. New information comes out regularly in some professions. New techniques, new materials, new colours, 
new, new understanding about things. There's never an end to us learning knowledge because we are finite. We always keep learning. But God never learns anything. And He has never learned anything and He never will learn anything. No one teaches God anything. Let's have a look at some verses. Uh, Felicity, I think you can read uh, Romans 11. Romans 11, verse uh, 33 to 34. Now, Delorean, do you want to look up a verse? Up, you can just listen up to you. Um, yeah, I'll listen. Okay. Um, Jacob, I'll get you to look up um, Isaiah 40, verse 13 to 14. Thank you. Oh, I can read one. You can read one? Yeah. All right. Uh, do you want to look up um, Matthew uh, eleven twenty-seven and... With the Black Bible, uh, that can be found on page 966. Page 966, Matthew chapter 11, 27. Thanks to Lauren. Uh, Josh, I'll get you to read out Isaiah 46, verse 8 to 10. Isaiah 46, verse 8 to 10. Uh, Henny, I'll get you to read out Proverbs 15, verse 3. John, I'll get you to read out uh, Job 28, verse 24. Alright. Perfect. Felicity, thank you. From the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsel? Thank you. Alright, this, this is one of the classic verses on God's wisdom and his knowledge. Uh, we'll look at it again a bit later on, but it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? No one. That's, that's the answer to the rhetorical question. No one. No one has ever given God counsel. Oh, thanks, Jacob. Isaiah 40, verse 13 to 14. Who hath understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult and mind him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Thank you. We can't inform God of any facts. God knows them already. He knows them already. We can't teach him the path of justice, the path of understanding. You know, we, we can't say to God, you know what, God, the way you did things, it's not quite right. Like, like this, didn't you understand this? God knows everything. Nothing takes God by surprise. We're sometimes shocked by news. Maybe we see it on the news, maybe we hear it from a friend. Nothing surprises God. Nothing shocks God. And it's not just knowledge about everything that's happened in the past or what's happening now. God's knowledge encompasses past, present, and future. Whatever there is. And all those possibilities. God's knowledge is comprehensive. God never learns anything. But next, God knows Himself perfectly. He knows Himself Completely and comprehensively. God has a perfect self-knowledge. This is both in His own being, His attributes, but also between the persons of the Trinity. There is a perfect knowledge and understanding between the members in the Trinity. Each person of the Godhead knows and loves the other persons of the Godhead perfectly. Perfectly. Uh, thanks to all. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. 
and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Thank you. This intimacy with this seed, we see there, particularly between the Father and the Son, because we see that uh, in, in how the Son related to the Father as he was here on earth. There is an intimacy. And for us to know the Son, we have to know the Father. In order for us to know the Father, we have to know the Son. And the Son has to reveal the Father to us. There's an intimacy there between the persons of the Trinity. So God has a perfect knowledge of himself. But next, God knows all things that he has ordained. And we're going to see an intimate connection between God's sovereign ordination, so the way that he's planned and decreed everything, and the fact that he knows everything. God's omniscience, his all-knowingness, means that he is also sovereign over all things. If you think about it this way, if God wasn't sovereign, then he couldn't know all things. And if he didn't know all things, then he wouldn't be sovereign. They go hand in hand. And also because he knows all things that will happen, they have to happen. They have to happen. If God would have looked, God doesn't look down the corridors of time and go, I think that's going to happen. You know, that, that, um, that guy over there, Jimmy, he's, he's going to choose Christ, I think, all right, and elect him. He doesn't do that. God's sovereign. He's already planned it out. He's already planned it out. He's ordained all things. This is a fundamental truth. God knows all things because God has decreed all things. He's ordained them. And he's decreed them, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. Um, Josh, I'll get you to read out Isaiah 46, verse 8 to 10. Remember this, fix it in mind, take it to heart and reverence. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Thank you. God has declared the end from the beginning. And everything in between, his counsel, his counsel shall stand. And, and it says there, as Josh read out for us, he will accomplish all his good pleasure. All of it. Not some of it, or the bits that we agree with. No, all of it. God knows all that he has ordained. But next, God sees all things, and none can hide from him. This is also something that comes out from God's perfect knowledge. God doesn't miss anything. Sometimes when Tali and I might be at the park, um, we'll be looking at Eli, and then something will happen. We'll look across, and then Eli's just running over there, and you know we've got to get him. And we miss maybe you miss details in your work or whatever it is. Maybe the little things that you don't notice. You know, did you notice that person randomly walking down the street? No, we miss things all the time. God doesn't miss a single thing. In His providential ordering of everything, the Bible says that His eyes. If you remember back to the, when we were talking about God as a spirit, his eyes, or he sees, yes, but what he knows. God doesn't actually have eyes, but it's what he knows. And there are many Bible verses about this, but any, um, Proverbs 15, verse 3, thank you. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Thank you. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, they're in every place. That's impossible for physical eyes, but his knowledge, what he sees, is everywhere, in every place, watching not just the good, not just the evil, but everything. Thanks, John. Job 28 24. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Thank you. Everything under the heavens. 
he looks to the ends of the earth. I don't know how far your vision goes. My vision doesn't go to the ends of the earth. Even if I am in space, for example, there's so much of the world that I can't see. I mean, I can only see what, however much of the world. I mean, God sees it all. And He doesn't just see the whole, you know, for us to see even half of the globe of the earth, we have to be in outer space. And even then, we can't even see what's on the earth, let alone people. We couldn't even look someone else in the eyes. We couldn't, right? And that's even just on the outside. We can't even see the thoughts and intentions of the human heart, is what we'll look at. But God does. But also because God sees all things, it means that nothing can be hidden from God as well. It's really important. All right, I'll give you guys some verses again. Felicity, you have a look up Hebrews 4.13. Lauren, do you want another verse? Jeremiah 16, verse 17. Jeremiah 16, 17. And you can find that on page 766. 766. Thank you. And Jacob, I'll get you read out Exodus 2, 24. Josh, I'll get you read out Jeremiah 31, 34. Penny, I'll get you to read out Psalm 1, verse 6. And John, I'll get you to read out Job 12, 13. Job 12, 13. Thank you. Alright, thanks for listening. Hebrews 4, 13. Thank you. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all are open. Open. To us, people often seem closed, but we're an open book to God. We're laid bare before God, before his eyes, the one with whom we have to do, or the eyes of him to whom we have to, we have to give an account. Thanks, Delorean. Uh, Jeremiah 16, 17. My eyes are on all their ways. They're not in from me, nor is there sin concealed from my eyes. Thank you. God's eyes are on all their ways. Not just on the things they do, but to the depths of their sin. God said, they're not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from me. As humans, so often we can't see beyond the externals. Right? We have to often assume from what people say and how their face reactions, what the intent is behind their words. And sometimes there's a facade, and we can't see past the facade. But God, He looks at everything. There is the outward appearance that He sees, but the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. He sees the full depths of the, the, the motives and intentions of the human heart. We cannot hide anything from God. For the non-Christian, that's a bad thing. That's why they don't want a knowledge of God. That's why they don't want to believe God exists, even though they know they do, and they push that down. They don't want to see their own sin because if they're sinful and there's a God who is a judge over sin, right, and then he sees everything, that makes the unbeliever uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable. Do you think people who don't believe in God actually know that he exists? Yeah. The Bible says in, in Romans 1 uh, that God has revealed it through creation. 
And Romans 2 says that he reveals it through the, the work of the law written on their hearts or their conscience, which bears witness against them. Uh, so uh, um, there's God has revealed himself, that there is a God. And, uh, Romans 1 it says that his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen uh, ever since the creation of the world. So when someone says, you know, on the street uh, or, you know, a family member, you know, they go, I, no, I know that there's no God. What they've done is they've convinced themselves, because of their sin, they've convinced themselves that God doesn't exist. Um, and so the Bible's clear witness is that there is a God and everyone knows there is. And that they refuse to honour and thank the God who is there. So that's a good question. Um, and so God sees everything. And you can't hide your sin ever from God, no matter how much you, you cover it up and, and try and hide it from others. But next, God never forgets. God never forgets. He never forgets what he knows. Remember, God is immutable. So that means he can't learn more. He can't forget more. This, this topic of mutability, it keeps coming up, right? Everything also does, all of God's attributes reflect on each other and, and, and are interlocking, as it were. But God's knowledge doesn't change. So he can't forget anything at all, ever. We do. All the time. Right? It's a struggle to even remember that some people's names sometimes. I remember when I, was, I had to teach a, a, a year three class and a year five class, and it was an effort to remember their names, and I'd have to go over it again and again and again. Right? We forget things as well. I can't tell you how many of them I will still remember. But God remembers. Thanks, Jacob. Exodus 2.24. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham. Thank you. God heard the groaning of the Israelites in Egypt. He heard their groanings. And it says that he remembered. And even though we know God doesn't forget, often in the Bible it says God remembers when God reminds his people that he doesn't forget. So for example with Noah, it said God remembered Noah. He remembered Noah. And what did he do? He showed him kindness. His mercy. God remembered his people in Egypt and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not like God forgot, but he would remember it and he would save his people according to his perfect knowledge. But doesn't God say that he forgets the sin of his people? Thanks, Josh. Uh, Jeremiah 31 34. Give their iniquity and I'll remember their sins no more. And that's a promise of God. Does that mean that God doesn't and that God forgets the sins of people? No. Never. But again, when God remembered his covenant, he remembered it, right? To save them. But if he doesn't remember the sins, it means that he doesn't hold them against his people. That's like us in relationships, right? And someone sinned against us. Will we completely forget? what they did to us necessarily? No. Sometimes we may. But will we always hold it against them? No. Why? Because we forgive them. And with that forgiveness, there's not a complete forgetting of, in terms of knowledge cognitively, but we never hold it against them. And that's important. Steve Lawson says this. He says, Though God remembers our sins cognitively, He no longer remembers the sins of His people judicially. 
Though he remembers it cognitively in his knowledge, obviously, he doesn't remember it judicially. And so when God says that he forgets the sins of his people, that he remembers it no more, what that means is that all those sins are cast into the depths of the sea, that they are remembered and held against us no more. And why can God do that? Because he remembered them against Christ. He didn't remember our sins, but he remembered them to Christ. That's what happened on the cross. Our sin was placed upon Christ. All who trust in Christ, all their sin was remembered to Christ, was counted against Him. Our sins were not counted against us. That's God, God did not count our trespasses against us. He did not remember our sins to us, but He remembered them to Christ. That's a great swap. But He always, when He looks on you as a believer... He always remembers us in Christ, not in Adam, in our sin. He loves all of his people. Yeah. Because he loves us in Christ. That's all of us. He loves you, 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 right? He loves us in Christ. It's perfect. It's perfect. He forgives the sins of um, Christians but not of those who don't follow him. Because everyone, and often people presume upon it and they say, you know, I was maybe uh, raised in a Christian family or I was born in a uh, Catholic family or Orthodox, whatever it is, um, and they presume upon God's forgiveness. Or maybe they've, you know, prayed a prayer. Or, or maybe at one time they said, you know, said something to God or made a commitment. But it's with repentance and faith. Uh, God says, when you confess your sins to Him, He will forgive. And so... Um, we can never presume upon God's forgiveness unless we've, unless we've actually confessed our sin and repented of it to God. That's important, yeah. And that's how we come to God the first time, to be saved, and that's how we continually come to God. Not to be saved, but now when we're saved as believers, we continually confess our sins to Him, and He will forgive His people in Christ forever. But next, God knows His people in a special way. So even though God knows everything in a cognitive way, the Bible speaks about a special knowledge that God has for His people. Thanks, Henry. Psalm 1, verse 6. The Thank you. Lord watches, or translated uh, more literally, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. In the Bible, when it says that a certain person uh, knew his wife, or well, Adam knew his wife Eve, it doesn't just mean that he knew about her. But now they conceived and they bore a child. And so in the Bible, knowledge can be a cognitive thing, yes, but there's also a deeper layer to it as well, often. So when God knows the way of the righteous, right, He knows them with His grace and His kindness, and then that's put in polar opposite to what Henry just read out for us in Psalm 1 verse 6. He knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So if He knows the righteous, they will not perish. But the way of the wicked will perish. God knows his people with a loving knowledge. He knows everything, right? Every fact, every detail. But he knows his people in a saving way, in a loving way. But next, God is perfect in his wisdom. He's perfect in wisdom. Now, God could have all the knowledge in the world. But if God didn't know how to use that knowledge, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be God. Remember, all these attributes have to be God's. He wouldn't be God. 
That seems kind of shocking to say, but why, why is that true? Because God is God, and that's who God is. God is perfect in His knowledge, and He uses it rightly because He has perfect goodness, perfect righteousness, and perfect understanding. He has perfect goodness, righteousness, and understanding. Now, to have perfect wisdom, one would have to use knowledge for the best way, for the best goal. The highest means to reach the highest goal. And God uses His perfect knowledge with His perfect means. Right? Whether those means are in creation, whether they're in providence, which we looked at last week as well, salvation and judgment, whatever it is, God uses all those means for His highest goal, which is what? His own glory. His own glory. Thanks, John. Job uh, 12, verse 13. Thank you. With God are wisdom and might, to Him belong counsel and understanding. They are God's. They're His possession. They're His to keep forever. Daniel 2 verse 20. In Daniel 2 verse 20, Daniel says, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to Him. They're His possession. They're His possession. And we'll see later that we are to get our wisdom from God then. If they're God's, then we should get them from God. But let's have a look. God has perfect understanding. God has perfect understanding. Now, we may know facts about things, but it doesn't mean that we actually understand them or can teach them to others. But God knows everything and He has understanding because He understands all things perfectly with His perfect wisdom. Alright, some verses again. Now, Felicity, I'll get you to read uh, Psalm 147 verse 5. Lauren, I'll get you to look up Psalm 104, verse 24. And that can be found on page 596. 596, Psalm 104, 24. Uh, Jacob, I'll get you to look up Proverbs 3.19. Joshua, I'll get you to look up Romans 11.33. Penny, I'll get you to look up 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20 to 24. You get a good long one. John, I'll get you to look up Colossians 2, verse 3 for me. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you. His understanding has no limits. Or his understanding is infinite. Because God has knowledge, and He understands that knowledge perfectly, therefore He can use that understanding in his, with, with wisdom. Now, as we're going through the next points, this is how God's wisdom is seen in creation, in providence, in judgment, and most clearly in salvation. But God is wise in creation and providence. Thanks to Lord in Psalm 104.24. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Thank you. Oh Lord, how many of your works in wisdom you have made, not some of them, in wisdom you have made them all. All of them. Thanks, Jacob. Proverbs 3, verse 19. By wisdom the Lord made the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. Thank you. Again, 
wisdom, understanding. And when we look around at creation, we see that so clearly. God's wisdom, His understanding, and the care that He has for all creatures, everything He's created. And even this is post-fall, after the fall. Can you imagine what it was like before the fall? Can you imagine what it will be like in the new heavens and the new earth? It's amazing. And we will be marveling at God's wisdom for all of eternity in all that He has made. Now God could be strong enough and powerful enough to make all things. And He is. He spoke and it came into being, into existence. He didn't even have to speak. We looked at that last time. Yeah, last time. But even if God had all power, it doesn't mean He has all wisdom. But God has both power and wisdom. He, he can make things and He does so in the best way. With His infinite wisdom in all its beauty, goodness and wonder. And God, even in God's providence, God works all things for His glory. And we know from Scripture that God works all things for the good of His people as well. That's another end that God uses an end for His people. Why is that also an ultimate end? Because we are in Christ and God works all things for the good of those who are in Christ. Who are called according to His purpose and who love Him. And so when we, for example, like we looked at last time in Job's suffering, for example, Job at the end of the day had to submit to God's superior wisdom, his knowledge and understanding. That's what happens with us. We submit to God's wisdom. His will is best, not ours. But next, God is wise in his judgment. Thanks, Josh. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Thank you. Paul is speaking here in Romans 11 of the hardening of the Jews, right? Judgment on the Jews for their own sin and his salvation for the, that had come to the Gentiles. And so even in the midst of God's salvation, but particularly in Romans 11, God's judgment on the, uh, the Israelites, Paul says this here, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches. It wasn't, it wasn't just enough to say the depth, right? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Right? Depths. What does he say next? How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So he praises God for his judgments. Why? Because they are deep, infinitely in their wisdom and knowledge. And his ways are past tracing out. We cannot trace them. We cannot fathom them. But also God is wise in his salvation. And this is where we most clearly see God's wisdom because it's where we most clearly see Christ. The Bible so often contrasts man's wisdom with God's wisdom. But man's wisdom, even though we think our wisdom is so good, the Bible calls it foolishness. God's wisdom crushes man's wisdom. It doesn't stand a chance. God brings it to nothing. Thanks, Henry. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20 to 24. Great is the wise man, great is the scholar, great is the philosopher of this age. May not God most foolish the wisdom of the world, for since in the wisdom of God the world should this wisdom be not not in what was foolish through the foolishness of God was preached to save those who believe. Jews do not direct the signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling rock to Jews, and foolishness to the Greeks to the Gentiles. But to those who God has called, both Jew and Greek, 
to include the whole thing. It's, it's just beautiful, this, how Christ is so foolish to the world, and yet to us who are being saved, um, those who are called and who are being saved, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So just like in providence and creation and in judgment, we see God's power and His wisdom. We see it in salvation and in Christ. He is, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Not that He has power and wisdom, but He is the power and wisdom of God. And thanks, John. Colossians 2, verse 3. This speaks about Christ. Thank you. In Christ are hidden all the treasures, all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want to see God's wisdom and His knowledge, most clearly, look at Christ. Look at Christ. And you'll never be disappointed. Is Christ, to you, the ultimate display of God's wisdom? Or is His cross foolishness? If a crucified Messiah is foolishness to you, then your wisdom is not God's wisdom. Your wisdom is not God's wisdom. You don't have God's wisdom because the world's brightest minds could not have conceived the gospel. They couldn't have come up with it. Even if you got a million of the brightest minds on this earth together for a million years to come up with and formulate this beautiful plan of salvation, they couldn't have conceived it. Who could have conceived of the incarnation the perfect unity of the divine and human natures coming together in one person, in Christ. Or Jesus' perfect obedience in attaining this, this perfect righteousness for us before God. Or the perfect wisdom of the perfect satisfaction of Christ in taking the sins of His people on the cross. Or the resurrection of Christ, or the ascension of Christ. Or He who is the wisdom of God who is seated at the right hand of God. Who rules in perfect wisdom? Who could have come up with this? No one except the infinite, infinite genius of Almighty God. If you think this is foolish, then it may indicate that you are unsaved. Because this is the perfect wisdom of God. Whenever the Spirit converts anyone, He convinces them of this. This is perfect and most wise. But how should we respond? Well, as believers, first thing is, we should have forbearance in trials. Because God sees our pain and our troubles and our trials. Do you sometimes feel alone? Maybe the things you're struggling with that no one else knows. Maybe you'll never tell anyone else. God sees. He knows. He sees when we're misrepresented or attacked, when we're slandered for the sake of Christ. But He sees and He knows. Or next, encouragement and service. Maybe there are ways that you've served family or church or your workplace and no one sees it. Don't we, inside us, we want recognition for it? It's not wrong to get recognition, but God sees and God knows. That's why Christ says, He, he rebuked the Pharisees. He rebuked the Pharisees because they wanted the praise of men. 
And that's why he said, he said, go into your, go into your room, go into your closet, shut the door, pray to your father in secret, give your arms in secret, give in secret, fast in secret. Why? Because your heavenly father sees, and he will reward you. God sees and he knows. So keep serving, even when it goes unnoticed. But next, this is a restraint from sin. God sees every sin. And if we had more of God's omniscience, right, His omnipresence, right, if we had more of this on our minds, it would restrain us from so much sin. So much sin. But because we forget God so often, we're so often prone and drawn to sin. But praise God that even though He sees the depths of our sin, He still loves people, all who repented and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He still loves us in Christ. But lastly, we're to trust in and seek God's wisdom, not the world's, not our own. Where do we get wisdom from? God. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, For Yahweh gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. James 1 verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you want wisdom, ask God for it. That's it. How often, don't we, how often we don't ask God for wisdom? Let's ask Him. Brethren, more and more. But lastly, fear God. Fear God. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning what? of knowledge. And wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom. We see that in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear the Lord. Walk in His ways. And you will be wise. Let's pray. Gracious God, You are so wise. You know all things. We cannot hide anything from You. We thank you, precious Lord, that even though you see the depths of our hearts, Lord, you still love us. You still love us. Lord, we look to the depths of our hearts and we can't even love ourselves. It's just filth. And yet, Lord, we do thank you that you still love us and you still work good in us, that we might be made more and more like the Son of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would fear you, that we'd walk in your ways, that we'd humbly ask you for wisdom. And that we would serve humbly, knowing that you see all that happens to us and all that we do. And even if we go unnoticed by the whole of the world, we thank you that we can walk with your smile upon us. We pray, precious Lord, as well, for those who are in this church and in Jermoyne who do not know you, who push down this knowledge of you, we do pray that you would awaken them, that they would see that you see all things and you know all things. And bring them to repent, Lord. Bring them to repentance. And bring them to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Comments, questions, thoughts?